All right. Hey, last week, Reverend L actually got into our series, and he talked about the Holy Spirit. If Reverend L did an awesome job, just clap your hands. He did an awesome job. I, I'm, I'm so grateful to have uh, team members like that and, uh, and to be able to, this early on, 20 weeks in, to be able to go away and spend time with my family and know that, uh, know that the church is in capable hands. Last week, Reverend L talked about who the Holy Spirit is. If you were here, you know he did a fantastic job. Uh, I had the opportunity to listen to it because of Facebook, and uh, I listened to Reverend L, and he talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is God. Everybody say God. The Holy Spirit actually is God. In the Old Testament, uh, God came down, and you see it in the book of Genesis, God came down with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and he actually communed with Adam and Eve. And in order to interact with God in the Old Testament, they would actually interact with God the Father as we know it. Then in the New Testament, we see Jesus come to planet Earth, and Jesus is the Son of God, but he's also God, which is kind of the mystery of God. And Jesus has his ministry. He ministers for three years. He's crucified. Then he resurrects from the dead. And then he ascends into heaven, but not before making a promise that he's going to send a helper. And that helper is going to be the Holy Spirit. So in the New Testament, we see Jesus, and Jesus is God. But Jesus sends the Holy Spirit as the helper, and the Holy Spirit also is God. So it's three separate manifestations of God, and yet it's still one God. And the Holy Spirit is who we get to interact with right now and today. When we say things like, I, I felt God, or I felt God in the, in, in the music, or I felt God at church, or I experienced God in the worship, or I, I, God was all over that moment, or God told me to do this, or God told me to, to say this, or God spoke this to me, anytime we say that now, what we're literally saying is we've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has spoken with us, because the Holy Spirit is the access that we have to God right now. I don't know about you, but I've never seen God the Father face to face. I've never seen Jesus face to face other than in a painting, but I know that I know that I know that I've experienced the presence of God in my life. If you've ever experienced the presence of God in your life, say amen. amen. I know that I've experienced the presence of God in my life. I know that I've moved into moments in my life where I know God was in what I was doing, and God had led me there and directed me there, and God had made the moment possible. I know that, that God has led me, and when I say that God has led me, I, I know it's it's the Holy Spirit that does it. And so who the Holy Spirit is is very important. Now, the Holy Spirit is, is, is odd because everybody's good with talking about God as the Father, and everybody's really good with talking about Jesus as the Son, but the Holy Spirit is something that can cause a little bit of confusion and argument inside of the body of Christ. In fact, churches argue over who the Holy Spirit is, and churches have arguments over how the Holy Spirit moves. And there's whole denominations that are formed off of who the person of the Holy Spirit is. I grew up uh, free will Baptist, and really I didn't grow up in church a whole lot, but about 15 years old I got, I got saved, but my grandpa was a free will Baptist minister for 35 years, had a whole different belief on who the Holy Spirit is. Believed he was God, and believed that he lived on the inside of us because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us when we accept Jesus as our Savior. But that's kind of where it stopped. And my family would get in conversations about like tongues and the gifts of the Spirit. And they're like, oh no, that's just crazy. That's just crazy stuff. And then somehow, some way, I end up in a Pentecostal church. And I remember the first time that I ever heard somebody speak in tongues. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody speak in tongues, but if you've been in 
hear very much. You have heard somebody speak in tongues. But I know for me, when the first time I heard somebody, it's like getting pictures taken of myself. It's really fun. Uh, it's odd up here. But I remember the first time I heard somebody speak in tongues, it's almost like you can remember where you were at on 9-11. Do you, re- you remember? Like you, so when you heard somebody speak in tongues, you're like, what just happened? You, I didn't know. I grew up Baptist, and I'm like, what was that? And I remember leaning over to my buddy and be like, what just happened? He's like, oh, well, that's that's... That's people talking in tongues. That's tongue talk. I'm like, okay. Uh, and and, and I, I was like, okay. And then, and then a, a message came forward. And I remember feeling like that was God and something just happened. And it was, it was significant. The message was good. But I also remember feeling like, I don't know how I feel about that. And, and, and that's where... That's where the church really struggles because there's people that are on both sides of the fence when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, we are a non-denominational church, but we are a Pentecostal church. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit here. We believe in the move of the Spirit here. And realistically, having an interaction with God in the form of the Holy Spirit and seeing God move in the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit should be, should be as normal as drinking water for a Christian. Amen. It really should. This should be a normal experience for us. Like when God moves and God does something significant in our life or God heals. I was just talking to somebody today at the end of service, a police officer, hardcore police officer, one of my longtime buddies. He comes up to me and his daughter's been all in all this different stuff and they were afraid she was going to the hospital. They're like, they're taking her to children's hospital and they're afraid of like different cancer possibilities and stuff. And he's crying. He's like, dude. God just healed her this week, like completely healed her. So, like she's off of everything. They said she's completely normal. Like, and it's wrecking his world. And I'm like, we're okay with that part of God moving, right? And we're good with that. We want to know that he is still on his throne and he still heals. I want to serve a God that still heals. We're okay with some of those parts, but then we have other parts that we really struggle with and things that we, that we don't fully understand. And sometimes, I will say this, sometimes the things that we are the most reluctant to accept are the things that we most poorly understand. And the Holy Spirit, I will say, in 20 years of ministry, I have had, I've had more conversations and more questions about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does probably than anything else that I've done in ministry because people don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a counselor and a comforter. And I'm thankful that we have counsel from the Holy Spirit. When you pray for direction and you get an answer, that is the Holy Spirit. How many people in here, by a show of hands, have ever prayed for direction? God, which job do I take? God, which person do I marry? God, which... <laughs> she, she, she's like, I knew before you did. I'm like, I said I loved you on the third date. I don't know if you remember that or not, but you didn't say it till like the fifth date. I said, I love you on the third date, and she said, well, that's nice. That's how that went. <laughs> but... But she knew that, that, that we were going to... We pray for answers, don't we? We pray for direction. I want clarity. When you get clarity and when you know what direction to go, guess what? You have heard from the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. He is our counselor. When you pray, God, this hurts so bad right now. None of this makes sense. And I am aching right now. And then all of a sudden comfort comes. The Bible says he is the comforter. It's the presence of the living God that has come and comforted you. So we want certain 
interactions with the Holy Spirit and he does these things, but there are other things that he produces in our life. He is more than just a person. He is more than just a comforter and a counselor. He's more than just God. He brings gifts and he brings fruit. Everybody say fruit. Fruit. I want to talk to you about these two different things really that the Holy Spirit does because we do talk a lot about the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to, over this series, we're going to deal with many of the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to deal with many of the fruits of the Spirit, but we're not going to touch base on every single one of them. But we are going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there are gifts that are outlined in Scripture. Powerful gifts, anointed gifts. The Bible talks about the, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Greek word that we see there used is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. There's power that comes when God lives on the inside of us. And we have access to that through the gifts of the Spirit. And we've all kind of encountered some of those things, even if we haven't come from a Pentecostal church. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is, is really a supernatural faith. So there's like faith, and then there's the gift of faith. And there's prophecy and interpretation of tongues and tongues. And then, and then there's even lesser gifts that we'll talk some about. There, the Bible talks about gifts of administration. How many people want that gift? Like, I want to be a clerical in the kingdom of heaven, you know? It's like, what are you? I'm a, I work the filing cabinet in the kingdom of heaven. But there are, you, I've met people. Over 20 years of ministry, I've met people that they are supernaturally good at details. They are T-crossers and I-dotters, and they think of things that I don't. And I thank God for those people, because I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't even know half of your names if it wasn't for people like that. I wouldn't know any of your names if it wasn't for people like that. I love people that move and operate in their gifts. There are gifts of the Spirit, but there are also fruits of the Spirit. And I want to talk first about the fruits, because I believe... I believe the fruits of the Spirit are just as important as the gifts of the Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? I'm going to actually make an argument that maybe they're more important. And some people might just, just hang with me. Don't shout me down, all right? If you, if you disagree with me afterwards, I'll just, we'll get you another pastor and we'll move on, okay? <laughs> Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. I would love to tell you that they're going to be up on the screen they're not going to be up on the screen. So you just have to listen today, or you could have brought your Bible. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And I'm just going to read this portion of scripture. And this is Paul talking to the church at Galatia. But the fruit of the spirit is love. Everybody say love. love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, or faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Let me read them real quick again. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I want to ask, this is just kind of a brilliant sort of question. What kind of fruit grows on an apple tree? What kind of fruit grows on an orange tree? Okay, all right. I feel like somebody's going to get this wrong. You guys are like, you're baiting me. I know something's coming. Listen to me. God's tree is the only tree that produces multiple kinds of fruit. We know a tree by its fruit, and we know a believer by the type of fruit that they produce. The Holy Spirit living on the inside of me, if I abide in God, if I'm in Christ, if I'm walking according to the Spirit, it should be producing fruit in my life. It should be evidenced. People should be able to see it. People should be able to know that they've come into contact with a believer of Christ, not because I say I'm a believer in Christ, but because I'm producing fruit of 
the Spirit. Fruit being produced is evidence of good root. It's evidence of good nutrients. It's evidence of being connected. You cut a branch off of a tree, the tree doesn't die, the branch dies. The fruit that's on the branch dies. Connectivity is imperative for the health of the fruit. And if you don't have fruit of the Spirit operating in your life, I want to tell you this, that it's probably because you've become disconnected somewhat from God. The closer you walk with God, the more these fruits will be evidenced in your life. Is that good preaching? If I'm preaching good, just say amen. It's just simple. It's just simple so far, right? But there are times where we are, there are times we don't, we don't operate in the fruit of the Spirit or you don't see the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer, but the believer still wants to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Listen, to me and understand what I'm about to say. If you are not a joy-filled, loving Christian, don't come to me tongue-talking and prophesying if you don't know how to treat people right. Because I honestly believe that's one of our biggest problems. My daughter McKenna came home last night and she said they, they, went to, they went to Walmart late last night to go grocery shopping. I can't remember what else she had. I had to swap out a picture frame that was broke. Anyways, my daughter comes home. She's like, it was an interesting night at Walmart. And I'm like, "That's that. you could say that every day. It's an interesting day at Walmart every time. There's things I've seen at Walmart that I can't unsee. And, and that's just the way that it is. I said, well, what was interesting about Walmart? She's like, oh, this was going on. These girls were screaming in the store, da-da-da, kids running around, da-da-da. And she said, but the thing that made me the maddest, Dad, is she said when we were standing in the checkout line. I said, well, what made you mad standing in the checkout line? And she said, there were these two people that were a husband and wife. And she said, they both had Christian t-shirts on. And she said, the one lady had like the way the lyrics the Waymaker on her shirt you know promise keeper light in the darkness all that stuff and she said and they were being absolutely nasty jerks to the cashier and my 15 year old goes you know what before you're going to advertise for Jesus you better start acting like him and I'm like if 15 years of age she knows that listen to me you could be a tongue talking twirling dancing Christian in church but if you leave this place and you act like a jerk don't come here trying to prophesy to my people Galatians 5, 20, 20, 22, and 23 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. Listen to me. There are, there are uh, you, you can't do this for so long and see problems at times throughout ministry. There are people that, that I've met through 20 years of ministry that there's no evidence of joy in their life. Everything is it's like they're just waiting for Jesus to come back. How are you doing, Pastor? Just waiting for Jesus to come back. It's The world's just getting so bad. Just lost my job. Had a flat tire on the way here. Lord, I can't even, can't even, barely just made it to church. I'm just hanging on, Pastor. Where's the joy? Listen, where's the joy? We've met people like that. I call them the, the Eeyores of the faith. You know, and I was like, oh, well. At some point in time, there's got to be some exuberance. Jesus saved me. He changed me. He, he, he loved me enough to die for me. And at some point in time, there's got to be a reason to smile in my life. I've got 10 reasons to frown, but a 1,000 reasons to smile. And as a believer of Christ, I want people to see joy coming out of my life. I want people to see peace coming out of my life. Listen, I understand COVID is a real thing. I understand people have gotten sick. I understand people have died. But I also understand life was never, ever, ever in my hands anyways. And I have peace whether I live or die, whether I'm here or in the next life. I have peace when I lay my head down on the pillow that I am going to be with the Lord one day. To be absent in this body is to be present with the Lord. COVID can't steal my peace because my peace is not predicated upon my circumstances. My joy is not predicated upon my circumstances. And how I love 
people is not predicated upon their performance in my life. I want you to understand the fruit of the Spirit because it is being produced by connectivity in the life of the believer. And if you don't have fruit, you better check the root. You better check whether or not you're connected because this isn't something that you can do on your own. This is a byproduct of who you are in Christ. It's a byproduct. I want to talk about love. Love is a great topic of the church. We love to talk about, you know, God is love, that he's not, he doesn't just love people. John said this on the Isle of Patmos. He said, God is love. He, he doesn't, he doesn't love you. He is the definition, the essence, and the creator of it. He is love. And, and, and then we'll talk about, you know, the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. And we'll quote that one. And then second one is like it, to love your neighbors, you love yourself and all the, all the prophets and all the, the old Testament, all, all the law, it all hangs on love and we're to love one another. And we're supposed to be good at loving one another. And listen to me, I, 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 I would submit to you, I would submit to you that if you aren't good at loving people, that in all likelihood, all likelihood, this is, this is going to be judgmental sounding. I'm just going to say it. If you're not good at loving people, you're just not a whole lot like Jesus. Amen. You're just not. Paul knew this when he talked about the gifts of the Spirit, didn't he? Paul knew this. Paul said this. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, basically, if I operate in the gifts of the Spirit, I operate in the natural. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm nothing more than a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's why I said that at the start today. If you're not good at loving people and you're not good at taking care of people and treating people right, it doesn't matter what gift you operate in because the way you act can be more repugnant than the gift you possess. You can actually do more damage by operating in the gifts and then not loving people. You really can. Sometimes I don't think we realize how much of a billboard we are for Jesus. And I'm, we're a billboard either way. We really are. We're either attracting people to the cross or we're pushing people away from the cross. But we are not, make no, make no bones about it, we are not stagnant. We're not, we're not neutral. We're not, people aren't the same just because they came into contact with us. They're either moving further away from God or closer to God because they came in contact with us. Love is a great topic of the church. And we love to talk about love. But at the same token, after 20 years of ministry, I've done a lot of I've done ministry with great people, and I love Tara and I can tell you we love this church. We love the people watching by Facebook. We love the people here. We love the people that are on vacation, even though we hope to see you soon. Uh, we love we love we don't do this because we don't love people. We do love people. We do this because we love people, and we love to we love to see things happen for people and see the light come on for people and see God do wonderful things in their life. But I also, through twenty years of ministry, have found that there are people that really struggle with this. One, one, of, the, one of the things that I remember early on, I, I preached a message quite a long time ago, and I posed a tough question. I said, what if two gay men walked into our church, sat down beside of each other, and held hands through the entire service? I said, what would you do? And it was a rhetorical question. I mean, I didn't expect anybody to get up and answer the question. Nobody did get up and answer the question. I just had somebody come up to me after church. And so I thought about that question that you asked. I said, okay. 
And he said, I, he said, I'd probably have to get up and leave. That just grosses me out. Okay. So what about your life or what chapters of your life, the story of your life, are, are chapters that you wouldn't want somebody to read? Who is supposed to come to church? Who are, who are we supposed to welcome here? Well, pastor, now, now be careful because you, you, are you saying that that's okay? No, I'm not saying that's okay. Listen to me. Like the church focuses so much on homosexuality that it quit focusing on the fact that you're not even supposed to be like sleeping together before you're married. Nobody talks about that anymore. That's perfectly okay if you live together, or sleep together before. But realistically, realistically, the church focuses on one area. We're not focused on any area. Listen to me. I want to tell you this. I remember who I was before I found Jesus. I even know who I've been since I found Jesus. I need a whole lot of grace. And I remember, and I, I, I remember what I was, and I also know that I'm still a work in progress. I, I want people that need Jesus to come to church, and it's not my job to do the Holy Spirit's job. I preach the full counsel of the word of God and God will process us. Doesn't he? Yeah. I don't know anybody that's met Jesus that stayed the same. I mean, it changed. Things change. Whether you intend for them to or not, over time, you just start making different decisions. It just happens. Having an experience with God. I, I have met people who struggle with he's for certain people and not for other people. Can I just tell you this? I believe Jesus is for everybody. 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 He's for everybody. Now, do I believe everybody's going to stay the same once they meet him? No, I don't. I believe he's the, he's the, and it's not, it's, it's not just because he tells them to change. A lot of it is because it just produces that desire on the inside of us. I can tell you for me, man, when I, when I, when I met Jesus, my mouth cleaned up right away. Cause I just was like, I just, I just don't want to talk like that no more. You know, I don't want to sound like that anymore. He makes changes in our life. We have, we have a tough time believing that there are certain groups of people that God could love, but yet we will say God loves everybody. We will act like there are only certain people that he can love, even though he really does love everybody. What about people in prison? We know we, 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 love, we, love, the, we love the idea of, you know what, well, that, person, yeah, that person was a drug addict, and you know, they're making a comeback, and you know what, they're professing Jesus now, and man, we love to hear a good comeback story. What about a pedophile? What, 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 about, what about somebody that's taken somebody else's life? This, this is hard. This is hard, and this, is, this, 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 this makes the crowd get real quiet, but realistically, the love that God produces, and we're going to talk about this as a fruit of the Spirit, is supposed to be an unconditional sort of love. I love... I, I love, and I'm going I'm to read this story to you, parts of this story to you real quick. I love the story of Jonah. 
Uh, it's a common story in the church, and we all know the story. We tell it in kids' church, and really we tell it from the perspective of Jonah getting swallowed by the big fish, and we tell kids he got swallowed by a whale. The Bible doesn't say he got swallowed by a whale, just like the Bible doesn't say there were three wise men, but whatever. People just connect the dots. But, but realistically, realistically, the story of Jonah has some real deep roots to it. And I want to read Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 4. Now, if you know the story of Jonah, Jonah ends up getting called by God to go to Nineveh and to preach the gospel to Nineveh. Jonah ends up running from God, and that's where we're going to kind of take off in the story. And then Jonah chapter 4 that I'm going to read is after he has finally gone to Nineveh and done what God called him to do. So just Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 4. So follow along with me, or listen to me because it's not going to be on the screens. All right. (laughs) The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. I love that. God says, go do this. And Jonah's like, nope, opposite direction. We've all been there before. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up and all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? My wife could sleep through that. Uh, Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? And they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? He said, pick me up, throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for for taking this innocent man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, O Lord. Have done as you have pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. This is where the Bible story comes in for the kids' church class. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice. The Lord made vows to him, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside of the fish for three days and three nights. We love to tell that part of the story. Listen, the deeper root of the story is God had told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was greatly in sin, and we don't know what Jonah's bend was against Nineveh. I don't know why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. We just know he didn't. We know he, it, it was either the assignment that he had been given or it was the people of Nineveh. But nonetheless, we know that Jonah ends up running away from God, ends up on this ship going to Joppa, that this, this storm kicks up, they throw him overboard and he ends up in the belly of a fish. Basically running from what God had called him to do. Now, we know from the story that the fish kind of spits Jonah back up onto a beach and he goes to Nineveh. Jonah becomes becomes vomited up on the beach, goes to Nineveh, does what God has told him to do. And we pick up in Jonah chapter four, and this is the part that is really the crux of the story and really where I think I can see myself the most as I identify with Jonah. But Jonah, the Bible says, was greatly displeased 
and became angry. Listen to what he prays. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. I knew, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, that you're slow to anger and that you abound in love and that you're a God who relents from sending calamity. He is angry. Listen to me. He is angry because God has sent him to Nineveh to preach a message. The Ninevites have responded to the message and he basically tells God, I'm angry because I knew you were going to be gracious and compassionate to them. I knew you were going to relent of doing what you said you were going to do. And I wanted you to go ahead and follow through and take care of the Ninevites. I don't know why he didn't like the Ninevites, but what Jonah's basically saying is it's upsetting to me that you would forgive them. Or another way to put it, I wish they would just go to hell. Some of us have uttered those words younger in our life. We told that to people. You can go to hell. Listen to me. When you don't love somebody well and when you're nasty to people and when you're not willing to respond to the voice and the call of God in your life and when you treat people poorly and badly, that's essentially what Jonah was doing right here. He didn't like these people so much that he was angry at God for showing value to them. And some of us have struggled with that in our life. Well, pastor, you don't know how bad this person hurt me. You don't know how bad that man was in my life. You don't know what kind of abuse that person provided me. You don't know how big of a jerk my boss is. You don't know how awful my parent was. You don't know how bad. You don't know how to bad. You, and, 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 and honestly, like even David struggled with this. If you read the book of Psalms, there were times that God said, I don't want you to blot out their iniquity. I don't want you to forgive them. I want you to remember their sin against them forever. Forever. Jonah's living there. And some of us struggle with that. You know what? There's nothing they can ever do to be worthy of God's forgiveness in my eyes because they were awful to me. And yet the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Right? And then all of a sudden we want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. But there are people that we have in our past, maybe people we have in this room, maybe people we have in our life right now, that we not only don't love them, we borderline on hate them. That's hard. It's hard. And I can understand, I cannot, listen, I can understand that there's people that have hurt you. I can understand that people, that I, I've dealt with all of it through the years, all of it counseled all of it. I've dealt with I've dealt with different kinds of abuse and different kinds of physical, mental, and sexual abuses and people that have had that in their past. I've dealt with abusive spouses. I've been in counseling sessions where I thought the spouse was going to get abusive towards the wife in the counseling session and had to stand up and slam my hand on the desk and say, you sit down now. And he did because I was bigger than him. I've been in those moments. Listen, I understand how easy it would be to not forgive somebody, how easy it would be to not love somebody, and how hard Galatians chapter 5 would be to have the fruit of the Spirit of love produced in our life. Or even Jesus who said, what's the greatest of the commandments? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I understand how that would be difficult. I'd be understanding of how difficult it is to hear that God is love and that God produces this love on the inside of us. This love that's not just for our kids, but love for everybody. We are very situational lovers when it comes to love. We love situationally. We'll stand in an altar and tell our spouse, but they, you know what? Sickness and in health, baby. Richer for poorer. The poorer part was terrible. 
It's hard being married early, ain't it? You ain't got nothing. Living on love and ramen, ramen noodles, a lot of ramen noodles. <laughs> you, you make these vows and you act like that love at that altar is unconditional, but realistically, you've watched it be situational and, and performance-based in so many other people's lives. Have you not? Somebody cheats, marriage is over. Finances get bad, marriage is over. Doesn't like the personality anymore, marriage is over. Don't have anything in common anymore, marriage is over. We just grew apart, marriage is over. Our only understanding of agape love or unconditional love for some people is with their children. But even some people don't have unconditional love for their kids. Some people even struggle to love their kids unconditionally. But for people that do love their kids unconditionally, we understand how awful our kids can be. And for some reason, we still love those rascals. We, we, they, they can have a five alarm meltdown in the candy aisle at Walmart. And we'll just start making excuses like, you might lean over like my wife does. I'm going to beat you. When you... <laughs> but you still love them, right? You can't say that in church, can you? Edit that. It's on Facebook already. Listen, we still love our kids, or we'll even make excuses for our kids like, well, they just haven't had their nap. Really? You get to act like a total monster because you haven't slept three times in a day? If your spouse were to act the same way, you wouldn't love them anymore. If your spouse was like, juice, woman, give me some, give me some juice. I want candy now. <laughs> Like, it's situational. It's okay for a kid to act that way because you agape love your children, but your spouse, like if your spouse acted that way or if you feel taken advantage of, our love for them is circumstantial. Friendships, oh, that's my BFF forever. No, it's not. I'm going to tell you right now, if that BFF does the wrong, wrong thing, you ain't going to be BFFs no more. I, I promise you. I promise you. We think there is all these unconditional relationships in our life. And I would submit to you, I would submit to you that the love that we're supposed to have for our neighbor, and who is our neighbor? Anybody. It's supposed to be unconditional. I'll get to that in just a moment. Jonah is having trouble with God because God is gracious and compassionate. I knew you were gonna, I knew you were gonna There's people we come on, be real. Are there people you wouldn't bring to church because you don't want to, you, you, know, you, you don't deserve this? That's what Jonah's doing. Jonah's like, I don't want to take church to them. They don't deserve it. You know what? When I hear somebody say, I can't sit beside somebody that's in sin because it grosses me out, but basically what you're saying is they don't deserve it. It's different words, it's the same message. Jonah's having that problem. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. This is what he says. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life. I would rather have died than told these people about you. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, and he sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine. I love when God does a good thing in our life, like on a Monday, 
And then on a Tuesday, he takes it away because he was trying to provide an illustration for you to see what he was really doing. That's what happens to Jonah right here. The Bible says that God provides the vine. It grows up. It gives Jonah shade for his head to ease his discomfort. God gives the vine. And Jonah was happy about the vine, the Bible says. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm. See, God provides the vine, and he also provides the worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God also provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Here we go with Jonah again. He wanted to die, it says. It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, here's what he asked him. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Jonah said, I do. He said, I'm angry enough to die. Jonah act like a little kid right here. I don't. I'm angry enough to die, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine. Here comes the illustration. God will let you go through some stuff just to illustrate. You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it and you did not make it grow. Basically, what God was saying was, even that I created, that little insignificant vine, that little insignificant worm that chewed it up, I made all of that. And you've been concerned about this vine, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And if you don't think God knows what's going on, listen, he starts dropping statistics on Jonah. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left and many cattle as well. He said, should I not be concerned about that great city? You've got all this effort and energy focused on this stupid little vine that doesn't matter, and you want me to turn my back on 120,000 people who doesn't know their right hand from the left. What's he telling Jonah? How can you be concerned about things that have no significance whatsoever and then not love man that's made in my own image? I see myself in this story. At times, I'll focus on the, the little externals and the little things that really don't matter. It's really easy to focus on stuff just blowing up and turning off up here. It's not why we're here ultimately. It's really easy to focus on the, on the polish and how good things go, but it's really not why we're here ultimately. I could focus on my job and my house and doing all of these things that I do to try to build my own life. It's really not why we're here ultimately. Why we're here ultimately is to love God and to love others. God put us here for his good pleasure and he put us here to show other people the way to him. That's why he put us here. Jonah had no right whatsoever to withhold the message that God had given him for other people. He had no right to withhold the love of God in other people's lives. I can identify with this because there are times where based off of people's performances in my life, based off of how they interacted with me, based off of how they treated me, loving them was very difficult. Oh, I might be able to say it, but to actually do it. Some of you in here, do you love everybody in traffic? Are you good at it? Do you have a little bit of road rage? Do we need to talk, right? Some of you in here, it's a former spouse. It's a current spouse. It's a parent. Some of you, it's a boss. Some of you in here dream about the day that your boss's boss shows up and fires him. Some of you dream about it, like, I just can't wait for the upper management to come in and fire the middle management, because everybody knows we all can do the job better than our boss. We all can, right? Some of us actually fantasize about the failure of other people. Jonah did it. A prophet of God 
See, anytime you feel like you're not doing the right thing, you just need to read the Bible because a lot of jacked up people wrote it. They weren't perfect. How did the story of Jonah show up? Somebody wrote it down. Somebody wrote down Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 exposes Jonah's weaknesses in loving people. It exposes Jonah's desire to not see people get forgiven. It exposes that Jonah is not the greatest human being on planet earth, and yet there it is, inspired by the Holy Spirit, put in scripture. Why? Because God knew we were going to have some Jonah moments, and that we were going to need to read some Jonah stories, and that there were going to be some people that obviously we were going to need to forgive in our life and love unconditionally. Pastor Josh, I'm going to have you come up. See, it's really easy to love church people. It's really easy to love our own family. It's really easy to say we love people. But one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, listen, if you don't have love, though I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm nothing more than a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just noise in the ear of God if I don't love people the way that God loves people. I'm just noise in the ear of God if I don't act like Jesus would actually act. I'm just noise in the ear of God if I act like one thing here but act like something totally different everywhere else Jesus is contagious can I still use that word in the middle of a pandemic is it okay to say contagious Jesus is contagious he's never had a problem getting people to like him and getting people to like his message and getting people to follow him. What steps in the way oftentimes of people having a relationship with Jesus isn't Jesus himself. It's the people that are already following Jesus that get in the way of other people following Jesus. Because whether you like it or not, people are watching you. We are so much more concerned about making sure that we have removed the sin issues that we perceive people see in our life out of our life so that people can see that we're good than we are loving like Jesus. Well, I want everybody to know that I don't smoke, drink, or chew. I want everybody to know that I don't look at pornography. I want everybody to know that my marriage is just as good as it appears. And then all of a sudden, we're not good at loving people. We're being nasty to people in the line at Walmart. We're reading the waitress the riot act because even though she didn't cook our steak, it ain't right. We're demanding to see a manager, demanding that our demanding that our conditions be met and that our voice be heard. Oh, pastor, I don't act like that. All right, Republican, how do you act toward Democrats? All right, Democrat, how do you act toward Republicans? Just asking. Love is not conditional. In fact, when I looked at the original language and went back to the Greek, there's three different words for love. The, the Greek language is so rich, and this is common. I mean, 
the, the Greek for love, we know that there's three. There's eros, phileo, and agape. Eros is where we derive our word erotic from, often used to refer to the love between a man and a woman. There's phileo, which is where we get the, the name Philadelphia from. It's brotherly love. It's loving somebody as a friend. That's why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. And then there's agape. And we understand that in the context of children. It's that unconditional love. And we would expect, because if you do follow scripture and you read at different places about love, where different things are said about love, those three words are used. You, it's why in original language study, when love is talked about in the New Testament, it's really kind of important to look to see what kind of love he's talking about. And in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's agape that's listed. Meaning that the fruit of the Spirit produces unconditional love in the life of the believer for the unbeliever, the other believer, and the neighbor believer means that we literally don't have the right anymore to give up on people. We forfeit the right to give up on people. Last story I'll tell and then we'll pray and we'll go. I, I was at Kroger some several years ago. I don't know, it was probably six, seven years ago. And I ran into an old southern gal that, that I had known from my past when I went to a church in Mansfield. And uh, her name was Teen. It was probably Tina, but she went by Teen. And she was a, she was a spirit-filled, Holy Ghost, tongue-talking, Bible-thumping, like just fun, fun to be around, southern drawl, southern accent. And uh, she had a... Who she really loved to minister to was was Muslim people. She called them Muslims. She's like, I just love the Muslims. She, she loved talking to, to, to Muslim people about the love of Jesus, never judged in that. She's like, I just feel like that's my call. I'm like, all right, that's a tough call. And we were at, it was about eight o'clock at Kroger. She's in one of those little motorized carts, you know, the ones that people ride around on. She's in a little motorized cart. She was sitting. We ran into each other. Uh, I remember exactly where we were at. We were by the bacon. Most of my good stories involve bacon. Um, we were by the bacon, and it was a divine appointment for me because uh, as I was talking to her, somebody that, we, somebody that I had known from my past had, had come up. And she was talking about this person and this person had done some really bad things ended up in prison for these things for several years and we started talking and he had gotten out of prison and she was telling me how he had talked to her and said the church had just thrown him away that nobody would come around him and come near him and talk to him because of what he had done and she told me, she said, he asked me why I would still talk to him. And she said, there's nothing that you have ever done that would cause me to not love you or not come around you or not speak to you or not minister to you. She said, I love you. And I remember there in the, in the bacon section of, of uh, 
of Kroger. I remember, I remember standing there, and this was several years ago. I read this story now, and it d- doesn't hit me the way that it hit me back then, but I remember the moment that I felt that because I knew what that person had done. I knew that person well. I knew what sin they had committed and what problem that they had. And I remember I felt a certain sort of way about what they had done. And I found myself like Jonah, like I don't even know if God would forgive that. You know what I mean? I mean, I know I read scripture and I read that the only, the only unforgivable sins blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, right? So everything else he forgives. But I'm like, yeah, but if I'm God, I don't know if, I'm, I don't know if I'd let that one slide. You know what I mean? It's a good thing I'm not. It's a good thing I'm not God. I remember standing there thinking, here's this elderly, spirit-filled woman teaching me a lesson, the professional minister, the professional educated minister on what love looks like. And I think we all find ourselves in these Jonah moments where God tells us to love somebody and it's I, lo- I loved I loved that moment because, you know, then she asked me, I lo- the Holy Spirit comes out in different people, all different ways. Some people dance, some people sing, some people shout, some people pray in tongues, some people, I don't know, uh, you, you know, some people try to dance. God bless them. They try. They do what they do. But I remember at the end of this, after talking to her, she said, will you pray for me? And she was just, I mean, she was so spirit-filled. She, I started praying for her, and she's like, oh, Lord, you know, and, she's, and we're in Kroger. It's easy to have people get the Holy Spirit in church, but she starts getting in the bacon section, like, anybody looking at what's going on? She's going to fall over into the bacon over there in a second. I'll have to pull her out, you know. <laughs> you're the Pentecostal or you're not. You know what I'm talking about. But I, I want us, listen to me. I, yes, I want us to move in the gifts of the Spirit. I want to see God do miraculous things. I want to have more stories where a police officer comes up to me and is crying and says, you don't understand, God healed my daughter this week. Don't you want that? I want to see people get saved. I want to hear what God has to speak to his church right now. It doesn't bother me at all when somebody gives a message and, and, and it's, 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 it's a prophecy and it's, it's telling God telling us we're pleased or areas where we need to grow. I'm good with that. But listen, I don't want to have all of that and miss love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, temperance. I don't want to miss that stuff because those things are what cause people to see the Jesus on the inside of us. You can fake tongues. You can. You can fake speaking in tongues. You can make a noise and make a random sound. You can fake it. We know We know that people have faked healings. We know there's been whole crusades where people came in wheelchairs that weren't really crippled and got up and the wheelchairs and all that. We know that happened. That happened in the body of Christ. What you cannot fake is love or joy or peace. You can't fake it. You can't fake the Spirit of God living on the inside of you and emanating through and somebody being able to tell that you're a follower of Jesus just because of what he's doing on the inside. You can't fake it can't fake it and that's what I that's what I want all of us to become I want us to become the type of people that that love people unconditionally you, you know what you might come here broken you might come here with a past you might come here with a present sometimes we like to talk all oh, man, they had a past no some of us got a present we got some tough stuff going on right now it's okay I don't believe wholeheartedly that God that's 
that God that brought you here is going to leave you right where you're at. I'm going to tell you right now, God's going to make changes in your life. I'm not going to make changes in your life. I don't follow you around. I don't follow your Facebook. I'm not watching you and trying to correct you on everything. My job is to preach the full counsel of the word of God. The Holy Spirit will do his job, convict you of sin and righteousness, and you will make the changes if you respond to conviction. You will. That's how it works. That's how this whole thing works. But I want love to be produced on the inside of us. I want people to know us because we are the most recklessly loving church, the most recklessly joyful church, the most recklessly peaceful church that you could possibly ever imagine. And then, oh yeah, by the way, you might see some gifts of the Spirit happen too. You might come and you might have an ailment and walk out healed if you go to that place. I want to be known for that too, amen? Let's stand to our feet today. I want to pray this over you today. Because responding to an altar call on something like this, when we talk about love, you can come down and you can pray, oh God, oh God, I want love. I'm not going to pray that for you. What I'm going to pray is God's going to put you in scenarios and situations this week when you are at work and you walk, your boss walks out in front of you and you think to yourself, well, pastor just talked about my boss this week and I do hate that jerk, but I got to work on that. I want, I want that situation to happen. I want you to get the cashier that's snarky with you and you, that little teenager just chewing gum on, you know, I want you to get that little snarky cashier and I want you to love them anyways. I want you to get your meal wrong at Cracker Barrel after church. You didn't want bacon in the pinto beans, but it came anyways and you got to deal with it, but you got to be loving. We don't have to just swallow it all the time. But I'm telling you, there's a way to say everything that you need to say and still love people. Am I right? She's looking at me like, why do you always ask me? I love you. I love you. You're pretty. I want to pray for you. Father, right now, in in the name of Jesus, it is not it is not in our natural capacity to love people at this level, God. It isn't. It's not in our natural capacity to have agape love for people that we barely know. It's not in our natural capacity to have love for the cashier or the waiter or waitress or our boss or our boss's boss to have unconditional love for the sinner. It's not in our natural capacity to walk into a prison system and see people that have raped and stolen and and cheated and murdered. It's not in our natural capacity to have love and brokenness for those people. But you don't ask us to walk in a natural capacity. You ask us to walk in a supernatural capacity. You ask us to abide in you, to be in Christ, and to walk according to the Spirit. And the Spirit has the ability to produce in us a supernatural love for humanity. And I'm asking right now, according to your glorious riches, that you would give us the ability to love people who don't deserve it and who least expect it. All of us have a past. We don't know. We don't know what happened in that waitress's day before they got to work. We don't know what's going on in our boss's home life. We don't know what's produced the person that's standing in front of us, but we do know we have the responsibility to respond in a way that honors you. 
God, before we put our Christian bumper stickers on our car, before we wear our Christian t-shirts, and before we try to represent you like a billboard, Lord, help us to be more like you, to respond more like you, to love more like you, and to be the type of man and woman that makes you smile and makes you proud. And God, let it come in the spirit. Let it come in the fruit of love first. God, let us be good at that. Help us to be good at that. Give us the opportunities this week. Lord, I pray that blessing over my friends as we get ready to go today. Give us the opportunity this week to show the love of Christ to somebody who desperately needs us. Open the door for that to happen this week. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you as you go. We will see you next week. And uh, we love you guys. We truly do. Love you very much.